Roger, you're over here as a guest curator with the Dublin Irish Film Festival in conjunction with the Hong Kong International Film um, Society. And the Hong Kong Economic and Trade Office in Brussels, yes. And could you tell us about this, week's, this weekend's events in the Lighthouse Cinema in Smithfield? Sure. We uh, put together, um, from the Hong Kong International Film Festival, a program of martial arts movies. Basically, actually, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Hong Kong Economic and Trade Office in Brussels. And they're responsible for trade and culture matters um, <coughs> that concern Hong Kong. So it seemed a good opportunity to do some film-related event. And of course, cinema or films are one of Hong Kong's more visible uh, branding opportunities, if I can put it that way. I think they're also quite an important export, but not as huge as perhaps one might expect. Um, but film definitely is one of the best ambassadors for Hong Kong. And so when we were putting the program together, we were kind of working out, well, what is Hong Kong's unique contribution to world cinema? And just as, you know, the Western is to Hollywood and musicals are to Bollywood, I think Kung Fu films are to Hong Kong cinema. So we put together this uh, a small selection of uh, Hong Kong martial arts movies um, that try and show a number of Hong Kong talents, such as uh, Bruce Lee, um, Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung. Um, at a time, perhaps uh, just before or on the cusp of the big digital revolution of special effects and massive wire work and things like that. I mean, Kung Fu itself as a discipline is centuries old. Kung Fu films are over a hundred years old, I, I guess. So, it's a con in the continuum of the evolution of martial arts cinema, I guess one is saying that whatever you do, it's always going to be a snapshot. So, our snapshot is of this period of real Kung Fu. Um, just at the moment, I think, when Hong Kong movies were going out to the world, uh, and then be just before this digital revolution. Yeah, I mean, the 80s, I suppose, is one way of saying that. Yes, although we also include Bruce Lee's great um, movie, um, The Way of the Dragon, which was made, I think, in 71, 72. Um, and then also Che Huck's... Um, one of his masterpieces, I think, Once Upon a Time in China, number two, which was, I think, made in 1992 or so. So, th those are kind of like, you know, the two extremities in one sense. Um, but yes, we're talking about largely 80s movies. And uh, I suppose the only, only one contemporary film amongst those is uh, Riding Wrongs with Cynthia Rothrock. Yes, that's uh, Corey Yoon's film. Corey Yoon, of course, is uh, one of the great uh, martial arts choreographers of Hong Kong cinema, and I, he's worked in the United States and Hollywood as well. Um, I think one of the reasons was that Cynthia Rothrock herself is a largely forgotten figure, I think. And yet she's a unique figure in Hong Kong cinema because I think she's the only, or one of the few, but I think the only Western woman martial artist in Chinese cinema. And, you know, you, you don't see this sort of thing every day. Um, and although I haven't really kind of brushed up on her filmography, uh, watching Writing Wrongs reminds us how great a martial artist she actually was as well. And I think she's due for 
a kind of rediscovery. I was talking to someone else and said it's a Quentin Tarantino moment, probably. And yes, I think it would be nice to see someone like that recognized for really the skills and her uniqueness, actually, in the history of cinema. You know, okay, whether you think she's a great actress or not, you know, I think that's really debatable. But, uh, you know, she's a great martial artist, and I think she deserves probably more recognition than she's gotten. She said an interesting thing in an interview one time. She said that when she'd been on in Hong Kong for a period of time doing stunt work and that, she'd come back home to Hollywood and she'd make a film and she'd be quickly reminded that she was working with the rest of the crew, <laughs> which she kind of calmed down a bit. <laughs> yes, I mean, you know, Hong Kong, that, that says quite a lot because Hong Kong films are, of course, quite high energy. So I guess it's uh, there are no moments in a sense where, you know, there is there are dead dead time so to speak. I think Writing Wrongs is an interesting movie. I mean, it talks about the convolutions of a kind of um, say business and legal uh, shenanigans, I suppose one would say. And uh, in one sense, it is something of a kind of reflection of what was going on at the time, you know. And when we had the ICAC, the anti-corruption unit in Hong Kong, making some progress in terms of putting business, making business practices more transparent. So this film, uh, which is about, you know, righting wrongs, so to speak, and maverick justice, I suppose uh, reflects something of the way people felt at the time. In essence, uh, Kung Fu has always been about the underdog fighting the bullies. Yes, it has. And it's always about the principal hero versus the, um, the, the conspiracy uh, of, and collusion of business and government. So in the Wong Fei-Hung films in particular, and Once Upon a Time in China, number two is one of those, um, <clears throat> I think that comes very much to the fore. It's directed by one of Hong Kong's greatest directors, Choi Huck. I always think with Choi Huck that there's never a straight line. It's always <laughs> there's always a certain convolution to his narrative. And in Once Upon a Time in China, it's interesting because you know it's three or four parties fighting each other. And I think this is something also that we find interestingly enough on reflection because you don't really notice it at the time but on reflection something about the narratives of Hong Kong cinema as well we have another film called uh, Duel to the Death for example which is by Ching Siu Tung who is one of the great also a uh, great martial arts choreographer he made a Chinese ghost story which is probably his most well known film internationally um, but uh, Duel to the Death is his directorial debut and it's basically a, um, a duel between a Chinese and Japanese martial artist. But for some reason, and it still baffles me to this day, um, their fight and their relationship is constantly interrupted by a group of ninjas. <laughs> so ninjas appear on kites at sea, the whole thing. And so it's, it's, a, it's a sort of triangular struggle between the Japanese martial artist, the Chinese martial artist, and this group of anonymous ninjas. Is it yeah, a appeal to the Japanese market? <laughs> uh, probably, yes. <laughs> there is a, there is of course a, um, there, there is a ninja subgenre in martial arts films, which I have to admit I haven't really studied, but they do appear from time to time. Yes. But as I said, like, it's 
Yes, yes, they do, uh, because um, you know most Chinese believe that martial arts originated in the Shaolin Temple. Uh, and then over the years, fanned out across Asia. Which is a genre in its own within Kung Fu cinema. Definitely. Um, and, uh, you know, Shaolin monks were the high priests of martial arts and continue to be regarded so today, actually. So you constantly see references to Shaolin, but not only, but, you know, the Shaolin Temple was burned down a few times. So there are films about that and then how the the monks or the martial arts that they embodied traveled around the region and particularly in China. Uh, talk a little bit about them, the wonderful kind of supernatural comedies that would seem to be a very 80s inspired yes. uh, phenomena. Yes. Sammo Hung and the like. Sammo Hung is probably the progenitor of them, although. Um, there is a kind of precedent in some of the films of Lao Galung, uh, Liu Jialiang, who is one of the great Hong Kong filmmakers and martial arts choreographers. Um, I think he started to use some of this, uh, what we call, um, I guess, comedy kung fu. And then Sammo Hong, who is really a truly great filmmaker and performer, I think, um, made a Spooky Encounters, I think it's around 1983 or so, uh, which was the first of this type of um, ghost uh, kung fu film. Um, and that transformed in gradually into the Kung Si or the Mr. Vampire type of movie, which is um, zombies who, uh, who basically, um, how should I say, hop around. And this is based on the idea of moving dead bodies because um, a, 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 a guy who dies away from home is never going to find peace. So there were a group of corpse walkers, as they are known, who were able to um, animate these people and to, to walk them home, so to speak. So in these Mr. Vampire movies and to some extent in these spooky encounter and these ghost um, uh, kung fu films, you see a guy animating uh, a group of zombie type people. They're all dressed in, um, in Qing Dynasty garb and they're all hopping away and they can do kung fu as well in these movies. But in the tradition, actually the corpse walker was supposed to be able to and this is real. I mean, he was supposed to be able to animate the guys and, and take them home. Uh, there is um, actually... Predates uh, Haitian uh, zombies. Oh, does it? Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure. The only thing I know about Haitian zombies is, uh, I think, Val Newton horror movies. But, um, but in fact, um, I hate to burst everybody's bubble, but I did read a very interesting story, which is a real-life uh, account of corpse walkers. Um, I think about 10, 10 years ago and in fact of course it's, the guy can't animate the dead body but what he has is he walks and he's got his poor assistant with the corpse strapped to the guy's back or front and that guy has to walk along it's a hell of a way to make a living I think Interestingly enough, you mentioned you missed the vampire, uh, and you missed, sorry, Chinese ghost story to go back to. Yeah. Again, with that very interesting kind of theme of ghosts and humans never yes. being able to interact. Yes. Um, there's an element of that in Spooky and Counter, I think, as well, isn't there? And in Mr. Vampire. Yes, there is. I think the idea is that um, 
you know, the, the, the Chinese concept of ghosts is quite different from the Western idea, I guess. In the West, ghosts are sometimes very scary spooks, so to speak. But in Chinese um, culture, the idea of a ghost is that they are omnipresent and they are just there. Whether you can see them or not depends on your ability, in a sense. So in, um, in spooky encounters, we see this uh, amazing... There's this great scene where Sammo Hung is looking at himself in a mirror, and in fact, um, the ghost, I mean, it seems to have been probably borrowed, if I can put it that way, from Poltergeist and the TV set. The ghost stretches right out of the mirror and tries to grab him. So, uh, what's the highlight of these films for yourself? You had, had, <coughs> had to pick. I think, um, yeah, I don't usually pick favorites, but I, I, um, I... I really liked uh, Once Upon a Time in China, number two. I hadn't seen it for some time, actually, but it strikes me that this is um, really quite a key work in uh, Choi Huck's evolution as the prime filmmaker today in China of these huge special effects movies. And Once Upon a Time in China, two was made before the, as I said, on the cusp, really, of the technological or the digital revolution. So it actually combines some rudimentary technology, I suppose, or digitization, together with real martial arts skills. And Jet Li is superb as Wong Fei Hong in the film. And it's also the, uh, a role, um, I think, a star-making role, actually, for Donnie Yen as, as a bad guy in the film. And you can see in the... Um, in the fighting styles between Jet Li and Donnie Yen, there's a contrast there. Jet Li is, um, as Wong Fei Hong, is clean, efficient, and very neat and concise. And Donnie Yen is much more flamboyant. He uses one of these favorite Choi Hak tricks, which is to use a very flexible, either a piece of string or rope. In Donnie Yen's case, he's using a, a long piece of cloth as a kind of weapon. And to turn something that's soft like a bamboo thing into something that's hard uh, and can be used as a weapon is quite fundamental as well to some martial arts thinking. And I think Choi Hup does it really well in this particular movie. I suppose it brings us to the final thing to discuss would be Wang Fei Hung himself, who was uh, the earliest Kung Fu films were yes. about this remarkable man. Well, in Hong Kong, I think uh, the Wang Fei Hung films that appeared in the late 40s uh, with Guan Ta Ping as, the, um, as Wang Fei Hung, he became synonymous with the character. And he played that role, I think, into the 60s and also on TV. And it's very important, those Wang Fei Hung films of the 40s, they seem a little, maybe a little clunky to us today, but because the backdrops are all painted, etc., etc. But what they show is real Kung Fu, because the fathers of uh, Liu Jialiang and also Yun Ping were in those films, and they are doing real martial arts. And the fact is that in the 40s, they were still within striking distance of some of the original or some of the important martial artists of Southern Kung Fu who learned their skills from the Shaolin Temple. So it's like saying that, well, these guys made westerns in the 1920s and they knew Annie Oakley and Billy the Kid and things like that. So this is really the equivalent. Roger, thank you very much. Thank you.